Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. What a peaceful song, right? The music goes right along with the words of that song. It's a very peaceful, encouraging, comforting song. So thank you for sharing that. Isn't it neat to see the people who are serving your food and cooking and washing dishes and all that all around, working the backhoe, up here singing? Isn't that great? That's what I love about camp ministry is that you get to see the people who are serving you all day and then they serve you and serve the Lord by singing. And you know, some of them probably in my camp experience, maybe this is true here, I don't know, it's certainly true, the camps I've worked at, some sing better than others, right? In fact, I um, have a friend who has uh, been in camp work for years and years and years and he can't sing a note. And I've sung in groups with him right behind me and he really truly cannot sing a note. But you know what? He gets up there because it's good for the campers, especially in the summer, to see them up there, to see them beaming and serving the Lord and singing out. And it encourages the campers to go, maybe I can do that too. Maybe the Lord can use me in camp work someday. And so the rest of us try to drown him out, but, but he's up there. <laughs> and um, none of these people, I'm sure, are like that, quite that bad. <laughs> but uh, it's a blessing. It really is a blessing. Um, I wanted to clear something up real quick here at the beginning. I think I may have confused a few of you with the story of my sister and her husband, um, someone asked me today if I'm raising my sister's children, thinking I was married to her husband, Matt, and I'm not. There's a third brother, Matt Herbster. So there's Mark and Mike, there's the twins. I'm married to Mark. And then Matt Herbster was married to my sister. And he has since remarried. The Lord gave him a wonderful wife, Tiffany, um, who was just prepared for him perfectly. And it's been really amazing to see what the Lord has done. She stepped right in where Julie left off, picked up with homeschooling the kids, took them all the way through high school. She has one left at home. He's a junior in high school. And they actually live in Hong Kong now. The Lord has called them across the world to Hong Kong. They've been over there for about a year and a half and loving their new ministry. And the Lord has done wonderful things with their family. Um, the children are doing very, very well. Two of the oldest two are married. Um, their older son has a baby of his own. His wife had a baby this last summer, and the Lord has really, really blessed. And so I wanted to clear that up because I think it was a little fuzzy. The details were a little fuzzy when I shared the other night. I think I just assumed that you knew there was a third brother that she was married to. Anyway, so that, hopefully that clears it up for you. Um, go ahead and turn to your notes to this um, session, session three, Encompassing My Reality with Christ's reality. We're gonna kind of wrap up the last two sessions with some really application tonight with what we've talked about the last two sessions. Um, and we'll review kind of those sessions in a minute, but um, I wanna kind of say, well, now what? What do we do with what we've been learning about the realities of Christ and how it impacts us and how it changes our focus um, and how it even changes our perspective on things that the Lord brings into our life. And we're gonna be in Colossians chapter three in the second half, this is the more practical session, uh, section of the book of Colossians of the letter. Um, the first part, again, is all about Christ and how we're in Christ. And then chapter three, verses one through four, we talked about last night. It's kind of the transition from about being about Christ to how that should play out in our lives. And so we kind of did the transition first and then moved back a little bit. Now we're going to move forward in Colossians 3. So I'm just going to quickly read through. It's kind of a long passage Read through um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17. I'll do that in just a minute. But if you want to look at your notes, the introductory, introductory section there, I will go ahead and read that for you out loud. You can follow along if you'd like to or just listen. 
It says, we don't have to look very far these days to find examples of those who call evil good and good evil. Really, all you have to do is turn on the news at night, right? And you will see examples of this all over the news, all over our world. And sometimes we just want to do a face palm and go, what is this world coming to? I'm sure you've picked up on things like that. Um, you know, people who are promoting and calling actually good things that, that God calls evil, like murder, right? Like abortion. I remember hearing an um, interview with Hillary Clinton, and she actually twisted scripture to promote abortion. She said, um, Jesus said, suffer the little children, not let the little children suffer. And she was talking about how children who are not aborted, you know, might grow up, come into the world and, and not be very well taken care of. And so she's saying it's better to kill them in utero than to let that possibility happen. And she was using scripture to back that up. And people, of course, were nodding their heads. And I was going, no, no, out of context right there, you know, but really she was calling it evil to prevent women from getting abortions. How twisted is that, you know? Maybe the name Brittany Maynard rings a bell with you. Um, this was several years ago, but it was right after my sister went through her cancer journey and passed away. And so this really drew my attention because this young woman, younger than my sister, she was just newly married. I think she was maybe in her 20s. And she was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. And she decided that she did not want to suffer. She did not want to go through the dying process because she knew that's where that was going to lead. So she picked up and she moved to a state where physician-assisted suicide was legal. And she planned her death day. I think it was November 2nd or 3rd, something like that, 20, maybe 2014, 2015, some, somewhere in there. And she went through with it. And she wrote a lot about it. And she, grew, she drew a lot of attention to herself because of it and really became an advocate for physician-assisted suicide. Again, something that God calls evil. And now people in our culture are calling good and marginalizing those of us who don't agree with that right? It's all over. You can find lots of examples of it. You know, it's good to, uh, for children to know whether they're a boy or a girl, right? But our culture is calling that evil. They're saying we're wrong for labeling them with a gender. Isn't that twisted? It's so backwards. You know, it's good for children to know their identity, their basic identity, their biological identity. But no, not in our culture. It's becoming an evil thing. So we don't have to look very far to find that. Atrocities like euthanasia and abortion, for example, are touted by many as basic human rights. And anyone who doesn't see it that way tends to be marginalized by the majority. But what are the proponents of things like these missing? Well, they're missing what we talked about last night, right? In Colossians 3, 1 through 3 and, and verse 4, they're missing the reality, big R reality, that there is more to this life than this life. There is something much bigger going on, and life does not end when the body dies. So their mindset is truly worldly. You know, think about if you had been immersed in that mindset your whole life, you would probably think that way. So in some ways, we can't really blame them. They're really following through with the, with the worldview they've been taught their whole lives through our education system largely and through their families. So we don't really blame them, but we pity them. And we are concerned about the direction it's taking our country. But could it be that we as believers are also missing that fact somewhere? Just because we may have a proper worldview when it comes to the big issues doesn't mean that we've let that worldview inform every corner of life. 
Is it possible for us to live our daily lives as Christians with little attention to the above things? Well, Paul seemed to think so based on his instructions to the Colossian church in chapter three. He wanted them to see how Christ impacts every part of life, every thought, every choice, and every relationship. You know, we can be really hard on people with an improper worldview, but we have to look inward sometimes and ask the Lord to show us where does the light of Christ and a right view of reality need to shine? In what corners of my life have I been sweeping things, you know, into the dark? Have I not opened up to the Lord and say, show me anything, search me, show me where I'm not living out the worldview that I say that I have. Show me where I'm not letting reality, the true reality, be lived out in my life. Um, so let's read Colossians 1, or sorry, 3, 5 through 17. You're going to see the practical instructions. It's all through here. He says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That's what we talked about this morning. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body, and be ye thankful." There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a description of what we were before we were saved and what we may still struggle with in the realm of, of sins. And then there's a transition where you say, you've put that off, renewed your mind. Now put on all of these things. Put on these things like you would put on a garment. And um, so there's a lot of practical instruction right there. So let's review real quick what we've learned so far. These realities, number one, we're living for another world. Right? We talked about that last night. There's a bigger reality that we're living for. We are citizens of another country, and we are on our way there as pilgrims and as strangers. Secondly, Christ is our sufficiency in this world. So now what? What does that mean for us? Well, according to this passage, I am radically transformed or changed when my reality is encompassed by Christ's reality. You know, our sins are maybe more respectable than murder. You know, we've got it right when it comes to murder and those heinous sins that people in our world participate in and put their stamp of approval on. But many of our sins that are more respectable stem from relationship issues, having a critical spirit toward people, gossiping, marriage issues, disrespecting our husbands, belittling our husbands, Parenting issues, being angry or impatient with our children. Disunity or division in your home or at church. Pettiness, being overly sensitive to fellow believers. Comparing myself with other people. Discontentment, 
fear of man, the list could go on and on of these more respectable sins that we are a little more easily able to hide, right, in our hearts. But nevertheless, they're there and God sees them. So how can we let Christ's reality inform all those little areas and change us from the inside out? So Christ transforms us in three areas, in my mind, my choices, and my relationships. And that's what we're going to break it down into for this section. So first of all, Christ impacts my mind. Um, chapter 3, we, just, we talked about this last night. Uh, verse 2 says, set your affection on things above. Another translation of the word affection is actually mind. It kind of encompasses both your mind and your emotions. And I really like the King James translation, the affection. I like that word. But another rendering could say, set your mind. So Christ should impact our mind because our mind informs our affections, doesn't it? Our feelings. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tomorrow in our last session. So our minds should be fixed on lasting realities, things that are solid and real and the true realities that are going to last. We need to be thinking truth. We need to be preaching truth to ourselves every day. It's not enough to know what's right. We have to tell ourselves what's right in the middle of a temptation, in the middle of a situation. So what do we need to be fixed on? Well, first of all, I have to believe the truth about myself. What is the truth about ourselves? If we are in Christ, if we are believers, well, it is I am a pilgrim. I'm a stranger on this world. I'm passing through on the way to my true home. This world is not our home. We sing the song, but do we live like that? Or do we get very attached to things of the earth? We are pilgrims and strangers and citizens of another world. Um, I mentioned the story of Pilgrim's Progress last night, and I told you about um, a picture book that I have for my children. And is Allison in here? Allison Hansen? She may have left. Okay. When she traveled with us, she told this story to children week after week after week. And so my children got to hear it a lot. And sometimes I would sit in because she's such a good storyteller and I would want to hear her tell it. But it's a, a illustrated version of Pilgrim's Progress. It's called Dangerous Journey. If you have children or grandchildren, it's a wonderful book to buy for them and read to them because it makes that story come alive for their little eyes and they can understand it. But it's not dumbed down. Like the words in it are actually lifted right from the actual story of Pilgrim's Progress. Anyway. Um, in the section on Vanity Fair, when uh, Christian and his companion are going through Vanity Fair, it's a picture of going through the world, um, it's where is the best illustrations of uh, the, the comparison, the contrast of the world with the two men that were on their way to the celestial city that belonged to the king, the king's men. And the reason I love the illustrations in that book so much are that they make um, the worldly people, the people of this earth and this transient reality look silly, actually. They're caricatures, right? The drawings are caricatures, kind of almost cartoony. And the people that are headed to Celestial City are, they look like normal people. They look like regular people like us. They're very excellently done drawings. So when children look at it, they can immediately tell, even before they hear that part of the story, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And the contrast in Vanity Fair is really the best way this is illustrated. It's very clear that Christian did not belong to that world. Even though he was, he was having to you know, put his eyes forward and not listen to all the temptations around him, he was having to go through it. He had to be in the world. 
but he did not have to give in to the temptations of the world. I also think that the children of Israel are a good picture of this, right? The children of Israel, when they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land, think about being one of them, you know, setting up your tent and trying to get settled, but knowing that that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire could move at any time. And as soon as it did, they knew, let's pack everything up and let's keep moving. That's kind of how we are, aren't we, as, as believers in Christ. We tend to get, you know, kind of settled in at our, in our places of where we live, places of work, places of ministry, and think, okay, I'm just going to stay here until Jesus comes. Well, maybe not. God might have something else for you. He did for our family. We traveled for years in evangelism. We were very content, very happy, loved what we did. And then suddenly the Lord called us to Maranatha in freezing cold Wisconsin. <laughs> and uh, nothing against Maranatha. It's a wonderful place, but... I had a hard time with that, honestly. You know, when you are fresh out of college, going into ministry, you think, Lord, send me anywhere. We'll go to the mission field. We'll stay here. We'll, we'll travel on evangelism, whatever you want us to do. And that was tested 20 years later when the Lord called us to another ministry when we were very happy in the, our current ministry. And I had to ask myself, do I really mean that still? Do I really mean, Lord, send me anywhere? Or am I comfortable where I am? And the Lord had to do a work in my heart to make me content to leave the ministry that we loved and to go to a place where there have been challenges and where my husband has gone a lot and travels without us now. And it's been an adjustment. But the Lord has shown me that's what being a pilgrim is about. It's saying, Lord, send us anywhere and meaning it. And, and uh, that's a good illustration for us to think about the children of Israel moving. We can't find our security in people or in the place God's put us because he could move us on and we need to be open to that and ready for it. So the truth about ourselves is that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And so we also must believe the truth about our circumstances. I know we all love to quote and read Romans 8:28, right? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And that is a comforting passage when you're going through something hard, it really is. I clung to that passage uh, when I was going through my sister's journey. But, you know, if you have to go on and read verse 29, because it defines what the good in verse 28 really means. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good that it's talking about. We like to think of good as comfortable, as fun, as something we would choose, you know? And if I have to go through this, as long as there's something good for me that comes out of it in the end, then that's okay, you know? But no, the good is conformity to Christ. That is the true good. When my sister was going through her cancer journey, I remember Matt and I one night, and she was there too, and we had all the kids. He was doing their family Bible time, and I was there visiting, helping take care of her. So I got to sit in on it, and we we were all talking to the kids about what good was because he was talking about this, how all things work together for good. And we kind of tried to communicate to them, you know, God is not talking about a movie night with popcorn good. You know, that's not the kind of good we're looking at in this situation. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be a walk in the park to see your mom suffer and ultimately die. But God is working something much better than that in your life. And it's a long-term perspective the good will come later. You have to hold on and trust God for that. And so that has to be our perspective on the good things. Sometimes we don't see the good things happening. You know, we can't find any good in a situation, but we are promised that God is conforming us to the image of Christ because we are in him, because we are his child. 
And so that's what, that, that's what the true good is. You know, this doesn't change our circumstances at all when we have this perspective, but it does change the way we think about our circumstances. And that makes all the difference. It makes everything, no matter what it is, even if it's a lifelong trial, if it's chronic pain that you deal with your whole life long, and that's not easy. You know, maybe it's a disability or a sickness that's just not gonna go away, but it changes your perspective on it. And you go, Lord, if you're gonna use this to conform me to your image, I will accept it. It is, I will say with my mouth and learn to feel in my heart that it's a good thing and I will accept it without complaining and I will trust you. Um, it changes our perspective even about tragedy and the fallout of tragedy. You know, sometimes the fallout of a tragedy is more difficult to deal with than the tragedy itself. Our, our adrenaline kind of is pumping and gets us through that initial time, but dealing with all the changes that come later is even, is even harder, the grief. Um, and, you know, even that is conforming us to the image of Christ. So Christ impacts my mind. My mind should be fixed on lasting values. What should I value? What is really important? You know, life is short. It's, it really goes by very, very quickly. And the older you get, the more you realize that it goes by quickly. You see your children growing up and leaving home and making their own decisions, starting their own families. And it makes you ask yourself, what is really important in my life? What is valuable? What should I be emphasizing to myself, to other people, to my children, if you still have them in the home? Well, I couldn't think of very many things that are eternal because there really aren't very many things, right? God is eternal, of course. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit existed in eternity past and will exist forever and ever into eternity future. God's word is eternal, forever settled in heaven, we're told in scripture, that it will always be, it has always been, will always be. Heaven is eternal. We've talked about that, the realm where God is, where the heavenly beings are. That is eternal, lasting, solid, won't ever go away, won't be burned up, and the souls of people. And really, I think those categories pretty much sum it up. Those are the things that are lasting. Therefore, those are the things that should be valuable to me. Those things should inform my priorities. They should inform my focus in my life because when it all burns up and goes away, these are the only things that will be left. My soul, the souls of other people, my children's souls. Um, C.S. Lewis said, I'm not a body that has a soul. Rather, I'm a soul that has a body. You know, And our bodies are going to die. They're going to be buried in the ground one day, but our souls live on forever. I love what, what uh, my sister's pastor said at her funeral. One of the statements he made, I believe maybe at her burial service, or maybe it was at the funeral itself, I can't remember, but he said, um, Christians do not succumb to death. They survive it. And I love that. That brought me such comfort that day when I thought she's living on. She's with God. The real Julie is with God now. Her body has died because it got a disease, right? But all of our bodies are dying, you know? I don't like to think about that, but they really are. They're all going to waste away at some point or another. And so these priorities should give direction to everything I do in my life, to my priorities. You know, right thinking leads to right choices. So not only does Christ impact our mind, Christ impacts my choices, um, a parallel passage to the passage that we just read is back in Ephesians chapter 4, 
verses 22 through 24. And it says that he put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know, those things, putting off, renewing, putting on, putting off, renewing, putting on, should be the cycle of every Christian's life until we get to heaven. And then our old man will be put off forever. We won't even struggle with temptation at all anymore. I can't wait for that day. But until then, that should be the pattern of our lives. And you know, you think about some places in the world that it's a lot harder to live that way than others. There are sirens in our world. We talked about the sirens and the ancient legends, right? Well, they have counterparts today, places that are very alluring. You know, I think about um, when our friends from, we have traveled to Singapore quite a bit and uh, made a lot of friends of, of believers over there. And they came over to the States to visit us one time. And you know the first place they wanted to go? Las Vegas. Isn't that funny? They didn't really know what they were getting into. <laughs> and they realized later, but that is where the rest of the world sees America. We need to go to New York City and Las Vegas. So they were like, have you guys been to Las Vegas? And we said, no. <laughs> Why not? Isn't it, isn't it like the best place on the, in the whole country? <laughs> and we just kind of laughed at them. We were like, you can go, but you're going to be kind of disappointed. You're going to see that it's really not all that you think it is, uh, especially for a Christian. But I remember one time we were traveling in evangelism, and my husband had to go on ahead of us. We were traveling out west, and the girls and I, uh, my girls were pretty young at the time, and we had to drive after him about a day, well, we were about a day behind him. And the best place for us to stop and spend the night at a hotel was in Las Vegas. And so he got us a hotel, and I'd never been to Las Vegas. And uh, you know, you drive in there, we was, it was getting to on toward nighttime when we, drive, when we drove through to our hotel. And it was, we kind of felt like Vanity Fair. You know, we're like, we are focused, we're gonna get this to this hotel, we're gonna go in our room, let's close the door, <laughs> and we're gonna stay there. But you know, the, the main drag through town is just amazing. It is alive at night. There's big, huge screens everywhere. There's advertisements. It is just as big as, bigger than life. And it's funny because it sits in the middle of the desert. And if you drive, you know, 15 minutes in any direction, you're in the desert. It really is the middle of nowhere, but it's this amazing city. Um, and we were sitting at breakfast at our hotel the next morning, crowded, crowded lobby, almost like shoulder to shoulder with people. And most of them were there on vacation. We're just traveling through trying to eat breakfast and get out of there. And Morgan was probably five at the time and really loud. She goes, Mom, did you know that this city is called Sin City? <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, Morgan, I did know. You know, be quiet. And Meredith was about four at the time, and she goes, but Mom, God is still here. You know, and of course, I'm seeing people's heads turn and look at us. And I'm like, OK, let's just eat breakfast and go. <laughs> But you know what? They're right. The sirens are loud there. Even for believers can get sucked into that lifestyle and that get rich quick and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and all of those worldly philosophies that are being promoted loudly and without apology in places like that. But you know what? We may not vacation in Vegas, but there are sirens in our life too. We have to be careful, like we talked last night, what we fill our minds with, what we allow in our homes through television and internet and things like that. What we have to do is what Paul does in Colossians. We have to keep the truth louder and sweeter in our lives. How do we do that? Well, 
You know the old children's song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It may seem simplistic and a little bit trite, but it's really true. We have to read our Bibles. We have to be in the Word, studying, digging, finding truth for ourselves to apply to our lives. Um, get yourself a good study Bible. That's been the best thing I've done um, to help with my Bible study. I love books that talk about the Bible, but there's no replacement for studying the Bible, what it actually says, and get a good commentary and dig in. That is how we keep the truth sweet. Go to church, right? Every week, week in, week out. Go to prayer meeting. Go to everything that your church offers. Come to ladies' retreats, and you have. You know, all of these things keep the truth right before us. And we need them, even if it's repetitive, even if you go, I've heard this before. That's okay. It needs to be in front of you all the time because we have to be reminded that this is what's important. This is what's eternal. This is what's lasting. This is what will keep us in the mindset of a pilgrim and a stranger. So the habits that we have in our, in our lives, put off old man habits, renew our mind with knowledge. And that's obviously the scripture fellowship with other believers, learning from each other. I love sitting at different tables at the meals here and hearing your stories. Um, it's amazing to hear testimonies of how the Lord saved you. And uh, everyone has a story. And I wish we had time to share all of them, but, but it's wonderful. That's, that's filling our mind with knowledge, being encouraged with other believers, and then putting on, like a garment, like clothing, new man habits. And some of us are lucky enough to have grown up in Christian homes where the habits are ingrained in us from the time we're in the nursery. You know, going to church was never an option in my family. We just did it. And we weren't in the ministry. My dad was a, um, was a worker that would go around and fix cash registers and then computers after that. And um, he just worked a nine to five job, but we were involved in our church and we went every time the doors were open and uh, we grew. You know, some of you didn't grow up like that and you've had to learn as an adult, go to church. Go Sunday morning, go Sunday night, go Wednesday night. It seems radical at first, I'm sure, to a new believer. But if you've been fortunate enough to have been ingrained in those habits your whole life, be thankful, right? And if you haven't, start those habits now. It's never too late to be faithful in church so you can be renewing your mind with Scripture and putting on those new man habits. And then Christ impacts our relationships. Unity is the goal in the body of Christ, in Colossians 1-2, Paul calls um, the believers brethren, to the saints and faithful brethren. That implies unity, doesn't it? The body of Christ should know no classes. We read this, we talked about this a little bit this morning, but in verses 11 through 14, especially of chapter 3, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Now, those are different categories than we have in our world. We could fill in those blanks with with other categories, plenty of them. But you know, when it comes to Christ, it says Christ is all and in all. Christ is our bond. He is what provides the unity. And so what are our specific instructions? Look down at verse 13. Verse 13, we're given two, especially two instructions on how to maintain unity within the body of Christ specifically. First of all, we must forgive other believers. Now, forgiveness implies that someone has wronged you. Has someone ever wronged you? I've been wronged before. Sometimes I know I've been wronged. Other times I don't maybe know that I've been wronged. I've been gossiped about and I find out about it later and it hurts, right? Maybe you've been um, seriously wronged. And uh, 
all of us go through at more or less, more severe, less severe, things like that where people wrong us in our lives. But if we are going to be pilgrims and strangers on the earth, if we're going to live for above things, it's non-negotiable. We have to forgive. We have to have the spirit of forgiveness. What's the opposite of that? Resentment, bitterness, letting things mull over and over, reliving the wrong to yourself over and over and over again. Maybe you've been in that trap. I certainly have been in that trap where you can't get it out of your mind. That's the opposite of forgiveness. And some people say, well, if, they're, if you're not asked for forgiveness, can you truly release the person and forgive them? And I don't really know the answer to that question, but I know we can always have the spirit of forgiveness. That if that person did come and ask for forgiveness, you would say, of course, I've already forgiven you. And now let's make it official, you're forgiven. You know, we need to live in the spirit of forgiveness. Otherwise, we will become bitter old women, won't we? And resentful old women that nobody wants to be around and that is not getting ready for heaven or living in a way that is living for eternity, having eternal perspective. So we have to forgive. Remember that Christ's forgiveness of me is contingent on my forgiveness of others. This is a serious thing. Matthew 18, 35 tells us that. That if we refuse to live in a spirit of forgiveness, we're not forgiven. That's sobering, isn't it? I want to be forgiven. And I think it becomes easier to forgive when we remember how much we've been forgiven for. And maybe you've never done the exact thing that was done to you or even anything in that category or even that bad. But we have a sin nature, don't we? So bad that Christ had to die for it. So there was definitely something to forgive, even if it wasn't one specific thing that always comes to your mind. You are forgiven. Therefore, we need to forgive other people. And that is a way that Christ impacts our relationships. We live in a spirit of forgiveness rather than holding on to wrongs done to us. And then another category is we must forbear other believers. And this is more when there's not been an offense. There's nothing that has been wrong done to you. It's just those people that are kind of hard to get along with. You know, that you just don't see eye to eye. And I see some of you smiling. I'm sure you could probably think of someone in your life, maybe even in your church, maybe in your family, that you just don't see eye to eye on almost anything, right? You bring up any topic and they will take the opposite side, right? Maybe playing devil's advocate, maybe not. Maybe that's what they really think. We have to forbear with people like that. Stop the pettiness. Sometimes we can be so petty in our relationships and things that shouldn't matter at all become the only thing that does matter. And that is not living like a stranger and a pilgrim, is it? That's living like Satan wants us to live. That's living in disunity. And so we have to ask God to give us the maturity, the spiritual maturity to rise above and, you go, and go, you know what? It really doesn't matter if we see eye to eye on these things. We are brothers or sisters in Christ. We are in Christ. She is in Christ, even though we don't see eye to eye. We have different personalities. We don't get along, really. That's okay. You don't have to be best friends with everybody. But you do have to forbear others. Bear up under the burdens that others place upon you. And realize somebody may be forbearing with you. We don't like to think of that, do we? We may have blind spots, too, that are irritating to somebody else, and they are forbearing us. Christ certainly forbears with us, doesn't he? He puts up with our weakness and our repeated sin struggles and our, our um, defiance toward him sometimes and our neglect of his word. He puts up with that. We can forbear other believers because of Christ. 
There's so many areas of, that could be potential disagreements. I live in the homeschool world, you know, and you know you get a bunch of homeschool moms together and talk about curriculum. And let me tell you, everybody has an opinion about the best curriculum out there. And it can quickly become an argument almost, or someone trying to really get the upper hand to have the last word about their curriculum, you know, and oh, yours is probably good too, but mine's better, you know. And um, it sounds so petty, and if you're not in that world, you just probably go, what? But those of you who are, you know what I'm talking about, right? Those young moms, you know, who have a very definite opinion about home birth or hospital birth or breastfeeding or bottle feeding, what's best for the child, and it can get very tense in some conversations. Stop the pettiness. It really doesn't matter. Do you realize that? People are entitled to their own opinions, and so are you, right? But we have to be careful to forbear with other people and just go, you know what? That's okay. We don't have to agree. You know, the whole COVID vaccination, oh my, you know, the, the discussions, and everybody has their list of reasons why to or why not to, and wow, it can create disunity in a body of believers very quickly. Don't let it happen. That's not forbearance, is it? That's not Christ-like. That's, that's selfish. That's something that we need to put aside that's prideful. Vaccinations, essential oils, the list can go on and on and on, <laughs> right? Some people are like, yep, essential oil for every little thing. And some people are like, I'm not doing essential oils. They're too expensive and they make me sneeze, you know? And it can be, it can be divisive, which is so, that's so dumb, isn't it? But it, it happens and you know it happens. And uh, we need to be the ones to go, nope, our common bond is in Christ. And maybe there are some conversations you just avoid. You just don't have with certain people and that's okay. It's all right to go, you know what? We, we agree on, on the main thing. We agree that Christ is the way to heaven. And that's maybe all we see eye to eye on, but that is okay. We need to forbear with other people because really in the long run, in eternity, we have more in common with all other believers than not. And in heaven, all things will be brought to light. And we will be ashamed, I think, of some of the petty arguments and petty things we talked about and got all worked up about on earth. We need to remember that unity is important in the body of Christ. So I must forbear other believers. I must love other believers. You saw in verse 14, and above all these things, the most important thing, the, th the glue that holds it all together is charity. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond or the glue of perfectness. I must love other believers. And sometimes this means intentionally loving other believers, especially the, maybe the ones that are hard to forbear with. Reflect the love you have received from God, from Christ, by being merciful to others, showing love. This is primarily one of our ways to show Christ to an unbelieving world. Do you realize that? John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. What does that mean? It means we're kind to each other. We talk to each other kindly and we talk about each other kindly. And uh, that's important to do. Speak kindly to and of other believers at every opportunity. And then seek practical ways of meeting the needs of other believers, even if it's inconvenient. Make a meal. You know, mentor a younger woman as an older woman. If you have extra time, if there's a skill you have, pass it along to the next generation. Take time because conversations open up in settings like that. You know, sometimes if it's an intentional Bible study, everybody feels a little bit stiff, like they can't share anything and they're kind of nervous. But if you have someone over for, you know, to teach them how to crochet or quilt or some skill that you have, 
conversations naturally open up and you're not having to make eye contact because you're looking down and they open up to you, you know, or they really do. And uh, you can do that. You can love other believers by reaching out and going, hey, would you like to learn how to do this? Would you like to learn how to cook? You know, would you like me to come over to your house and show you how to organize? You know, if you like to do that kind of thing, if you're good at it. So mentor somebody or be willing to be mentored yourself. You know, that's a way to receive love. You can show love by allowing someone into your life to mentor you. And maybe you don't even realize you need it until you're in the middle of a relationship like that. And then lastly, refuse to compare yourself with others or others with each other. Now, this is a trap we fall into often, especially as women, because we're insecure, right? We want everyone to think well of us. But again, we have to remember who we are in Christ. We're already accepted in the beloved. We're already loved as much as we can ever be loved. And so we have love to overflow and to give to other people. So think about it. Ask the Lord, really, if, you, if you've never done anything like this or you don't know where to begin, start by praying about it. Asking the Lord, how can I show love to somebody in my church. Lord, open my eyes to the needs around me and help me to know which ones. We can't meet every need that everybody has, but we can meet some of them. We can look around and ask people how they're doing. And when they're struggling, come alongside and pray with them. Even if you don't, you're not the wisest counselor in the world or you don't really know where to go in scripture, you can always pray with them. And that means so much to someone who is struggling and it opens doors of opportunity to you, and the Lord will guide you into how to love other people. So Christ impacts my relationships. The reality of Christ changes me. First, Christ impacts my mind to focus on lasting realities and lasting values, the things that really matter, which there are not very many of them. Christ impacts my choices to put off worldliness, renew my mind, and put on godliness. And then Christ impacts my relationships to help me forgive, forbear, and love other believers. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this practical section of Colossians 3, where you show us where we've come from. And Lord, we haven't all committed all of the sins that were listed, but Lord, we know our hearts are sinful and we've committed some of them. And we are um, depraved. We are humans. And so we we uh, struggle with sin because we have a sin nature. And Lord, thank you for showing us how to renew our minds in scripture and why it's important. And then showing us what you want to change and how you want us to interact with other people, other believers especially. Lord, I pray that we would show an unbelieving world who calls evil good and good evil. Help us to show them a better way. Help us to show them Christ by the love we have for each other and by the way we interact as believers in Christ and the unity that we have. Lord, if there's anyone here that's struggling in relationships or struggling to forgive or to forbear or to love, pray that you'd work in her heart and uh, show her ways she can do that. Help her to repent of her selfish, prideful heart and uh, to be willing to let you to change her in her mind, her choices, and her relationships. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.